So now we'll begin with this form I was telling you about. So the first speaker. Um, first, the meditation instruction aspect of it will, will be described. What is meant by speak the truth. And maybe don't get involved in writing now, your journal or whatever you've got there. Thank you. Um, so the uh, then we'll describe the uh, contemplation, what you'll talk about. So let's start with the essence of the practice, which is the meditation instruction. The something that we talked about yesterday. In order to speak the truth, you have to know what the truth is. Otherwise, what are you talking about? And in meditation, the truth is the truth of subjective experience. Moment by moment, that's what matters. That's what's true. So, the only way to know subjective experience is by mindfulness. So, when you present the contemplation, which will be offered in a moment, to the mind, actually, the way that you'll know what to speak is by paying attention to the responses, the reactions of the body-mind. What arises? What kinds of thoughts come up? What kind of reflections? What am I going to say about this? But as with many things in life, and perhaps even more strongly because we'll be exploring Dhamma as we do with Insight Dialogue, the truth of the human experience, the deeper truths, when you're offered with a, a contemplation well, there's an excellent chance you'll have many thoughts, many feelings. Which one's true? How do I know what to speak? Which of these thoughts do I let go? Which do I say? So there's not only mindfulness. You're making some kind of decision here, aren't you? That is, unless it's habitual, automatic speech, which is the norm. Norm is, boom, shoot, ready, fire, aim. Forget the aim even, ready, fire. But in meditation, of course, that makes no sense. So discernment. Out of all of what is known by mindfulness, what gets spoken, what gets let go? Mindfulness and discernment. Make this a very specific practice. Actually, Take the pause, which is mindfulness, and let it support you. Really explore a new way of speaking. And for the listener, the word sati, which has been translated somewhat awkwardly as mindfulness, actually has its roots in remembering. Remembering what was said, remembering awareness, remembering the breath, remembering to pay attention to the mind, sati. 
So how can you remember anything if you're not there in the first place, right? If the attention is wandering and scattered. So mindfulness, again, is the first doorway for listen deeply. But in listen deeply, as we talked about yesterday, there's also a con continuity, a steadiness of the mindfulness. Otherwise, this mind shooting here and there as it hears what is spoken, what is said, won't really absorb it, won't really be there in a deep way. So we have mindfulness and concentration for listen deeply. And really give attention to that. Really practice. Work with it. If the mind is not steady, notice that the mind is not steady, that it's forming judgments or finishing someone's sentence or in reaction with all kinds of thoughts and emotions of its own. Bring yourself back. Bring yourself back. Mindfulness and concentration. Listen deeply. Mindfulness and, and discernment is speak the truth. Listen deeply is mindfulness and concentration. So the listener is going to be taking advantage of this strength of practice to offer a gift soon to the speaker which is, what did he or she say? The actual words, the actual phrases, the content. It's not a memory contest, because actually the speaker will have more than twice as much time as the listener, right? So even if you could remember it all, you wouldn't have time to say it. So don't worry about that. But do really show up and stay present as you listen deeply. Now, in speaking the truth, the reflection that's being offered is a reflection on this role, this fabrication, this construction of me, of I, of self. And we'll begin with the public self, if you will, or selves. Who am I at work, in my public sphere, community service, in my casual friendships? I am defined by what? Well, there's my job or my title or my whatever. I volunteer, I have a title. At work, I have a title. There's the, all the various functions. But there's also the role of the one who's supposed to know something. The one who is kind or compassionate or just. I am the one who sets the limits. I am where the buck stops. I am the one who gives in too much. I am the nice guy. I am this, I am that. What roles do you take on yourself? Not just what is projected onto you, but what do you fabricate? Who do you assume you are? So the roles are have an I am, but also they're talking about me. It's I and me. It's what others say as well as what I take on. 
who are these selves? Now you can bring this contemplation forward. Each of us could speak about it for days. You'll only have seven or so minutes. So speak the truth. A few words of truth is what matters. Not the big long story spoken from automatic thought and delusion. It's better to practice meditation much stronger. Really work with, listen deeply, speak the truth. Mindfulness and discernment as you speak. Mindfulness and concentration as you listen. This self, this public self or selves, listen deeply, speak the truth. So in just a moment, just letting the body-mind sit. So the speaker has spoken with mindfulness, with the pause and discernment. Listener, you're invited now to offer the gifts of your mindfulness and concentration. What did you hear? And as much as possible, offer a clear reflection, like from a still pond, not your interpretations, however brilliant they may be. Let it be simple. This is the gift. And spoken as truth, spoken with mindfulness, watching yourself speaking, thinking, pausing, and now the speaker is listening deeply, taking it in, receiving, allowing this gift to touch you. What? Listen deeply, speak the truth. Just about three, four minutes.
And now the speaker, the first speaker, is invited to say whatever you see fit to say now. You'll have about just one minute. Uh, there's something that you want to add or some gratitude or perhaps something that you heard back that you want to correct or any, anything. It really doesn't matter. Just exactly what's true now is all that matters. Listen deeply, speak the truth, just for a minute. And noticing the experience right now. Any tensions in the body, any activity of the mind. And just let your practice deepen in the silence. No effort to speak or listen now. Just to rest. Touch this moment with clarity, simplicity. As the body-mind settles back, you might just notice what that process is like. The activity of speaking, going out and eating and doing things. Perhaps there was mindfulness, perhaps not. Perhaps there is now, perhaps not. It's just known just as it is. What's the experience just now? The body is sitting. What's it like to be in the body right now? The head, the neck. The shoulders and the shape of the arms, just as you sit now. The upright torso. bend at the hips and the legs going out, the bend at the knees, the feet, just the whole body saturated in awareness, every cell. 
the body is sitting. The body is breathing. It's just like this right now. Good afternoon, everybody. Can you hear me well? Yeah, everybody. Can you hear me well? Is this better? <clears throat> We'd like to um, invite you to reflect on your experience in this group, your experiences you've had this morning or perhaps even experiences from yesterday, or even Friday. And um, before we go into that, um, also inviting you to keep practicing, even in this setting. I was just talking to Greg about how the word pause can kind of mean like, oh, taking a break and kind of, and another break, and another break, you know, the word pause. Now, it perhaps can be uh, a bit of a puzzle how to relate that word pause to a mindfulness that is kind of continuous. And then, as always, he had an answer to that. He said, <laughs> I tried to put him on the spot, didn't work. Um, he said, how did you phrase that? You did that very beautifully. The pause that is continuous. The pause that is continuous. Pointing to when mindfulness is not something you constantly have to, you know, be remembered. You know, remember yourself to, oh yeah, let me be here again. There are these moments where it's just kind of flowing. And I think that's really important to... Uh, to be aware of, to notice in your own practice. When sometimes your mindfulness can be very like narrow and focused on a very specific object, the belly, the nostrils, as we all know from Vipassana. And how we can on the other side have this open choiceless awareness where you just kind of sit with whatever is touching the senses, including the, the mind. And I think it was Jack Cornfield who also talked about a mindfulness that sits in between those extremes. He talked about a mindfulness as a, gently, gent a gentle witnessing on your shoulder, which is not as narrow, it's not as open and wide. kind of sits in between. And, and personally, I see myself uh, 
practicing that particular type, if you would say, of mindfulness as I'm interacting, as I'm talking, as I'm listening. So it's not that big, open, spacious mindfulness because that sometimes really carries me into story very quickly. Like it sometimes also does in personal meditation. You go off and into papancha, into tuning out. So the invitation in this group, as we invite you to reflect on how it's been, is to pause and perhaps pause continuously with this gentle mindfulness that is kind of, you know, witnessing on the shoulder as you listen to what people share and as you see fit, as you might speak the truth. As you see fit, pause. I'm wondering if I could sort of give us a little um, spin towards the practice that you've been doing uh, with listen, listening and speaking in case there's anything that was noticed that might be of benefit to each other, you know, because you're here together now, you've had some practice. Whatever you've touched may, you know, awaken something that's ready to awaken in someone else. Um, and also, I'm a little cautious about the ending thing that has been actually all three people have spoken like the retreat's over. It ain't over. Mm-hmm. You know? When you've done some real work, like dropping in, like you were saying, dropping in this morning, what's next? On retreat, when you drop in, the work begins, right? So, sure, there's only a couple of hours left. But. Awakening happens in a moment, you know? Something might just drop, who knows? I, I'd like to add, it's um, um, the word that comes to mind, sort of like a retreat on steroids a little bit, in the sense of the speed at which mm-hmm. I felt things went. <clears throat> and um, I had an experience um, in, in earlier today when we were <clears throat> talking about um, and we're supposed to talk about the self. I couldn't say anything. There was nothing to say. I mean, it was really, because there was nothing there. I mean, it was a really interesting experience. It was just like, I I was dumbfounded, because it's like, there's nothing there. (laughs) And I've never understood that experience before, because I you hear it. And it's like, you know, but the words, there were no words. Mm -hmm. There were no words at all. So that, that was uh, a very new thing for me. Mm. And, uh, yeah, it was, <laughs> it was just kind of remarkable. Yeah. 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 Experiential, too, right? Because, I mean, yeah, because yeah, it was derived rather than, you know, I read it a million times, and you're like, myself, myself, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. So it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> it's not that <laughs> Oh, oh, really? Right, yeah, right, right. Mm-hmm. Snuck out. Mm-hmm. 
time I did a silent retreat for about two weeks and immediately following after that I did a nine-day inside dialogue retreat I literally had to only walk down a hill go to a different meditation center and the first couple of days my mind was just vibrating from the activity of just being with people. You know, it's, I noticed, you know, I was so quiet from those two weeks of sitting by myself. And all of a sudden, I'm invited. And on retreat, we have usually three blocks of practice in the morning, in the afternoon, and sometimes in the evenings. And just that, that vibrating, when it comes with interaction, it was something that I had to get used to again after being so silent. Um, and then later on I realized how I was also, I was in the process of creating um, that suffering. I was wanting, I was holding on to a type of, of, of samadhi, of concentration I've gotten used to in those two weeks, which could really land on one object for quite a while. And here I am all of a sudden with all these different kinds of stimulation going on, there's story, there's, there's another person right in front of you, there's this invitation to, to contemplate, and to hold all that, it required a different kind of concentration, concentration that is kind of steady, and not so much going into like one object, or not a concentration that is like from this object to that object to this object, that would make me very tired, exhausting. I had headaches for two days until it clicked that it's also possible to play with this skill of mindfulness, of this skill of concentrating. And in mindfulness, I like the, the, the analogy of, uh, of the lens where you can narrow and you can widen like I began. But in concentration, it's the same thing. It can feel very steady, but at the same time, you're open to a lot of things that are being known by mindfulness. And uh, so I can relate to what Helen was saying. And we've done a lot of work in these two days. We've done a lot of work. Just reflecting on just this morning, for example, yeah. there's three hours of unbroken practice. Constantly being reminded to come back to the moment yeah. by your meditation partner. Three hours in a row. I'm always curious to know 
perhaps for this morning, how was your sense of the quality of mindfulness? Or the quality of the steadiness of mind that we call concentration? What was that like for you? Did it feel, you know, interrupted or continuous, Cynthia? question of what is metta, what is metta practice, to cultivate that quality of, well already when we go to translate it's an issue, right? Loving kindness or friendliness or universal love or what is that? What's the actual experience or what are the different qualities of experience that combine in each of us in different ways. And how does that relate to the experience in an interpersonal meditation practice? And um, what you're pointing to in your own experience is something that I've heard before, which is 
that something is experienced directly, is lived, without trying to cultivate it in this relational practice. And, uh, of course, I've observed that, thought about that, and I find no... um, conflict with that with what you're saying now about that natural experience of metta and what how I define it from the discourses and and then of course from my own practice Um, in the Karaniya Metta Sutta which is you know probably the central discourse on the practice of metta, just like the Satipatthana Sutta is the central discourse on mindfulness practice. What you see, what you read and then move into and experience is an establishing a quality of you know, simplicity, humility in oneself at kind of an ethical basis, just a starting point, and some pointers to that aspect of care and friendliness, uh, you know, as a mother would, you know, love her child, her only child, is kind of the central, beautiful line in that. But that when it comes to actually practicing, you take that attitude of kindness, but really, it's he's the Buddha is describing this, you know, upward and unbounded, you know, for all beings, regardless, you know, leaving none out, and you get a sense of expansion. You get exactly that expansiveness that we've been practicing with pause, relax, open, and that when you enter with another person in meditation, if you're actually practicing that, then you find yourself perhaps in this spaciousness together, and the heart's response in that is this natural, the friendliness, the care, the the kindness that emerges upon contact, unfabricated, you know, unsought. So to me, it's completely harmonious what you're saying with the discourses, but also with the felt sense of what, in me anyway, how meta ripens. It doesn't ripen as some kind of, um, even the word connection doesn't ripen like connection. It ripens like being with. It ripens like, uh, uh, you know, there's this, this spaciousness of awareness that we are in together and there's nothing in the way. And so the, this tenderness of the heart is just human to human. It's just right here. Uh, so that we have this opportunity to touch the wisdom aspect like than the not-self that's been reported, you know, and the penetrating qualities of mindfulness and concentration. 
that it's not separate from the loving kindness. Because it's relational, that can be known, that can be recognized. I think it's the same thing in, in traditional silent practice, actually. It's just harder to see. You know, as the mind really settles, the love naturally emerges, but the fact of interaction is, uh, doesn't, doesn't bring that out. It's not, it's not there to bring that out. So, yeah, I think that's, it's, it's a delight that you share that with us. Yeah. What comes to my mind listening to Greg and reflecting on what you shared, Cynthia, is um, how great it is to sometimes actually frame your experience, even in inside dialogue, as you totally trust emerges and you share with your partner. Loving kindness is present. And just like in the noting of the pasana, you go, oh, I feel this, this friendly kindness, it's here. So that you actually frame your experience with those words. Mm. And uh, so it doesn't really, then metta practice is not always, it's not something that you start doing, but you, you notice it also in mm. the midst of being in contact with others or just sitting by oneself. Oh, it's here. So would now be a good time for some more practice, or did anyone have anything else they yeah. wanted to say? Oh, yeah. Yeah, good. I just wanted to bring up one thing that I know I've struggled with in life, and that came up in doing practices, is uh, my making of eye contact with people. That for me is challenging, is especially challenging in this setting, sometimes we weren't speaking Yeah, actually, I do. Um, Eye-to-eye contact that you're describing as being sometimes very difficult, very, uh, uh, I don't know, does it feel confrontational or does it feel uh, too, too intimate or can you name what the... Very good, mm. very good, yeah. So, um, first to touch the 
you might say, the neuroscience of it, something like that, where, you know, we have these uh, circuits in the brain that are designed, that, that designed, that uh, have arisen in such a way that sensitivity to the eyes, to the, to the visage, the face of another is, is uh, exquisitely fine. And um, so you're not imagining it or making it up that you are sensitive to that. We all are. Um, and of course, in our culture, uh, and in different cultures, you know, uh, you find similar things, but it is different from culture to culture. Uh, having that kind of face-to-face uh, -face contact, um, there are taboos around that, and there are norms that steer us away from that. Um, and so many uh, possible interpretations of looking directly at another, being with another in that way. Uh, for example, you know, you go back to animals, and it is a dominance thing. And it is, a, you don't do that. If an, you know, if there's an animal, you don't want them to attack you like a bear. You don't look a bear in the eyes, you know. Um, so there's certain real deep stuff, let's just say stuff, that's, that's being called up here. In addition, there's the layer of our particular psychology. You know, my, the events in my life, the events in your life, and so on and so forth, that will lead to, you know, pulling and pushing that uh, we often feel. And you just were naming, you know, the I want to be seen, I don't want to be seen, that we started to touch into in practice. The urge for becoming to exist, to be seen, is a fundamental hunger of the human animal. And as long as there's a self, that self is going to have issues with its own existence. And this is one of them. <laughs> <laughs> because the self comes to exist in relation. There is no such thing as a self not in relation. It's, it's, it's an oxymoron. So I long to be seen, and you are feeling that. At the same time, it's too much. It's way too much. I'm out of here. You know, and that's the, I want to be invisible. I, I, yeah, I want to get out of this. And that's the vibhava tanha, the urge to get out, the urge to become invisible, the urge to not be, the hunger to not be. And that's second noble truth. I mean, it's basic, basic stuff. So we trivialize our responses uh, at some risk. These are not small things. And yet at the same time, in the same way that something like anatta can become so clearly visible so quickly in this practice, so can tanha, hunger, craving.
so it's a doorway. You know, this is your first retreat of insight dialogue. It's a powerful practice. Sometime in the future, you may come back to this, and that may be exactly the gateway to whatever, you know, to some kind of release or understanding or something like that. Perhaps a bit much to go into in detail right now, but you know the four noble truths. Okay, so first truth is, is about the nature of uh, uh, the suffering that comes with being in born into this world with this mind leaning forward the way it does. It's built into that structure of this body, the decay of the body, and the mind the heart in its constant longings. Well, it's that second noble truth is about those longings, about those urgings, the cravings. It's usually translated as craving. I prefer hunger. So that sense of hunger for pleasure, hunger for becoming and hunger for non-becoming or hunger to get out. And uh, there's a sense of lack that that implies, but there's also a, a, in it a, con, a constant dissatisfaction. The mind can never settle because something is always off, either in terms of I want to get the next thing or I want to know where it's coming from or I don't feel safe. The self is trying to feel safe. How can I do that in a world that's contingent? And so there's this constant unease that's deep in, in this human experience until there's a, a kind of a scooping under all of the processes that go to put the mind in this sense of non-safety, in this sense of wanting, in this sense of dissatisfaction, in the sense of trying to get or get out. And that's the dilemma, that's this human dilemma. It is possible, this is the third noble truth, it is possible to be free from that kind of uh, structural tragedy of the 
unsatisfiable wants, the unobtainable safety. And that that's a matter of the cessation. And how does that come about? The fourth noble truth is the path. How does that happen? So that's a good point to practice, don't you think? Mm. We'll move back into some our last session of Insight Dialogue. We have now beginnings of a practice, the pause, mindfulness, the release of clinging to wherever the mind was trapped, sense of coming home, sometimes actually stopping, relax. When there's mindfulness, how do we meet experience? receive, accept, allow. And there is the possibility of actually letting go of muscular tension. Sometimes we can do it. So we check that out too. You might even check that out right now as I'm speaking. And open. We have that sense of the internal, the external, both opening wide in spaciousness where all is known as rising and vanishing, and the rising and vanishing, surrendering to that. No control. Trust emergence. Don't know mind. And it's in this very experience, clear and awake, and yet sometimes it's tumultuous and sometimes it's beautiful and still, we speak the truth. We listen deeply. So now you can manage your own practice engaging the different insight dialogue meditation instructions as they serve you. But we've also put you into groups of three and four. So that's the first time at this retreat we've done that. So when I pause, where do I look? What do I do? What does open mean when there's not just one person, but opening to the whole group? Can I practice that? What is this uh, chaotic emergence of more than two minds, but four minds, three minds, touching the same moment? Oh my God, what a mess. One was bad enough, but two? Four? Gone from meditating with one to meditating with four? What's this? Just be curious, find out what it is. Be patient, pause, relax, open. So we'd like to give you, before we move into the substance of our final contemplation, a chance just to actually contemplate what it's like now, being in this moment in, of meditation practice with several other people. What do you notice? What's the difference between this and just with one other? 
Or what's the difference even, if you will, between this and meditating alone? Speak the truth, listen deeply takes on a certain meaning now for those of you who are very generous with your speech, who speak easily in groups. You might want to offer the gift of listening more, making more space. And for those who tend to not speak in groups, you might want to bring forth the energy and the generosity to bring balance by speaking. Let it be part of your practice to participate in that way. So speak the truth, listen deeply is also pointing to that quality of balance. Especially as the groups get larger, it makes a difference. So just for these first few minutes, exploring what's the practice like now? This very experience with the delicacy and detail that you know is possible with a meditating mind. Pause. Relax. Open. Trust emergence. Listen deeply. Speak the truth. The body is sitting. And how's the mindfulness right now? See for yourself. We're going to offer now a couple of contemplations, one followed by the next. And as always, the actual practice of pausing, of meeting experience with relax, open, trust emergence is central. 
So if you find yourself talking real quickly, offer yourself and your partners the gift of the pause. You give them far more in your silence than in your words in such moments. And sometimes you have real gifts to offer in your words, especially now that we're going to be contemplating your actual experience as it's true for you here and now of wisdom that really lives in you. When the Buddha spoke of knowing and seeing things as they actually are, what does that mean? What have been your experiences of knowing and seeing things as they actually are, but most important is the aliveness as you speak that now. Because something through this life in each of us has been touched. Something has had a chance to emerge and be clear something may actually in this very moment that you pause present itself unhidden, uncovered, direct and simple. What is it, this knowing and seeing things as they actually are? How do you experience that in yourself? Sometimes wisdom comes in tiny increments, a lot of hard life lessons, and we begin to understand something about hunger, suffering. We begin to understand perhaps something about impermanence or something about even the emptiness of the self. Sometimes knowing and seeing comes in a wave, in a rush, either through meditation or someone dies or you almost die or your heart is just riven by life and there's something that you come to deeply know. This is an opportunity to touch that and speak the truth. Not just old stories, but really with the pause now. Your, your meditation partners will wait. They know how precious the, those few words of truth are. And give yourself the gift and of course for your partners, give yourself the gift of listening deeply. Receive the wisdom. Allow it to touch you. Honor, respect, venerate that wisdom being shared by others and receive it into your cells. This is not the time to hide it 
It's not about modesty and it's not about pride. It's about direct experience and honoring the experience. There's nothing personal about it anyway. It's not your wisdom, it's not your ignorance. So allow yourself to touch that, the knowing and seeing. Speak the truth. Listen deeply. Take your time. By all means, take your time. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.